Thanks very much for that uh, introduction, John. I've been looking forward to, to speaking at uh, this, this event. We, with it being 30 years of the miners' strike, um, that does uh, events similar to this and dissimilar to this across the UK and internationally. And you know, being a, uh, an apprentice during the miners' strike and being the president of the NUM and being an MP now, I, I've been speaking at uh, quite a lot of those. But I think this, this might just be quite different. And I've got to say that from the very beginning, that it's always different speaking to academics because I've read a million books written by academics about the minor strike. And I've probably disagreed with every one of them. So I want to try and put the minor strike in the context of an apprentice. Myself. I want to try and tell you what I believed was happening during the minor strike. So hopefully somebody might want to write about somebody who was actually there as a young boy. I keep saying a young boy, I was 19, 20 by the way, but, but I just want to like try and tell you what it was like. When I was 20, I wasn't a, a Marxist revolutionary, I wasn't a militant, I wasn't a member of the Workers' Revolutionary Party, I wasn't a member of any party. I was a member of a community. I was a member of a mining community with a jolly decent family, what I might add. My father was a miner, his father was a miner, his father was a miner, and on my mother's side, it was the same back for generations. So I'm a pedigree miner. Wasn't well read, got expelled from school, because I did it on occasion say things at the wrong time. And uh, I'm not saying I was taken out of context, by the way, but did 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 say things at, at times perhaps I shouldn't have said things. But I just think that reading about the strike, we hear, like Nicky said, about the timing of the strike, about another issue which everybody gets under, and it'll, it'll come to the fore the day, is why did we not have a ballot? Because if we had a ballot, we might have won it. What a load of rubbish! It doesn't matter whether we had a ballot or not, it wouldn't have had any difference because it was the state against the miners. And the state had the finance, and we didn't have the finance. So I think that's another thing which perhaps we'll get into discussion at some stage today. You know, what, are, what happened? We were watching the television, come home from the pit, and my father says, there's a strike in Yorkshire. Stri what, what really does that mean? My father was a, a, a solid union man. He says, well, it means that they're shutting the pits at Corton Wood. So it looks like it'll spread. And I said, well, what does that mean? He says, well, it means we'll be on strike. And I said, well, what does that mean? He says, well, it means we'll not be going to work and we'll be supporting them. And you know, that was good enough for me. I didn't need a ballot to tell us that a strike and to withdraw our labor to try and support the communities we lived in. I didn't need to put a tick anywhere because it was there. And we knew, as I said before, what was wrong and what was right. Soon understood, by the way, with great governance. Now these, 
These people we work with underground, in the industry, the LLE men and the nuts of LLE, getting together, arguing the toss, arguing, was it right that we should come out on strike? Was it right that we should have? All of the issues, they were the real politicians of the miners' strike. Not just the Skinners and the Tony Baines and the Arthur Scargills, fantastic orators, which they were, but these people at local level, the people you work with on the face, there were the, the Pittman politics, as I call it, and they're the real, real heroes of the miners' strike. They knew what was wrong. They all had different opinions. But it was fantastic listening to the debate, to the discussion, to the arguments. Every day, sitting, and we bought a house, by the way, the, the, the union branch bought a house. It was a strike headquarters. You couldn't see it for smoke because somebody used to, the union used to buy packets of cigarettes. And the most favorite person in that room at that time was the man who the union had allocated the, the, uh, the cigarettes to. And he used to give you one, at, I've never smoked my life by the way, but he used to give you one at a time because people couldn't afford them. So people were sitting watching the television every morning, six o'clock, seven o'clock in the morning, seeing how the strike was developing, watching what the media was seeing, smoking our cigarettes, having cheese sandwiches. Great days by the way. I'm not being critical, it formed my character, rightly or wrongly, but it was fantastic. Arguing in the morning and then the next morning seeing who was right, who was wrong and watching how the media portrayed us as ordinary people in the communities. But I, I mean, I'm, I'm simply gonna say, we soon understood that this was a class issue. It was a class war was a minor strike. And anybody who dare suggest that, well, you know, you, it was the wrong time. It was the only time. We couldn't have walked away from this one. We were pushed into a situation, and if anybody who's seen Lord Heseltine on the television only two or three weeks ago said with a lovely grin on his face, of course this was meticulously planned, and we had to get the miners out on strike, and we prepared for it. And that's exactly what happened. If we had to turn back and refuse to, to, to take any action against the closures, then the industry would have been gone a lot longer, a lot earlier and a lot longer ago. There isn't any doubt about that. So, you know, my father used to say, Ian, sometimes you've got to fight, but at the end of the day, if you get beat, as long as they know they've been to the party. And I think that's the position where we were. If somebody comes and kicks you between the legs, it's very difficult to get up and say, well, I'll, I'll get you next week and walk away. We didn't have an option. We knew that the industry and the, the communities where we, we represented and where we lived, and these were ordinary communities, not communities where people lived in the lap of luxury. They were mining communities where everybody looked after everybody. And we knew this was a danger because it was the Thatcher plan. But looking at the, the Thatcher plan, we knew that Thatcher's fingerprints was all over this. Is every person in here who worked in the pit, my two colleagues there certainly did, received a letter from McGregor saying that the anyway was wrong, saying that 
There wasn't going to be 75 pit closures. There wasn't a hit list. There was only going to be a slimming down of the industry, 20 pits, and a loss of 20,000 jobs. And as the cabinet papers have been released only at the turn of this year, at the beginning of this year, I should say, showed quite clearly that Thatcher's intention was to close 70 to 75 pits and get rid of, as Nicky put it, the peripheral collieries. That would mean the decimation of the industry. And I want to raise this point because it's really, really important. And I've raised it in Parliament on numerous occasions and I'm not getting anywhere. Thatcher stood at the dispatch box. The dispatch box and the mother of all parliaments. She stood there and said that the National Union of Mine Workers were lying. They were scaremongering. And that it wasn't right. And that the government had to take action. And they would do whatever. This lady's not for turning, she said. And the reality was, her and her senior ministers were deliberately lying. They were deliberately misleading Parliament. They were deliberately misleading the people in this country. Now I'll ask you a simple question. It's about democracy. It's about freedom. Whenever should we as ordinary people, should anybody in this country accept the fact that a Prime Minister can deliberately lie at the dispatch box, deliberately mislead the country, and it's just totally, uh, my view is that there isn't anything, anything sh that uh, should allow that to happen. It was 30 years ago, but so what? It was 30 years ago, somebody needs to be answerable. And when we get the, the details uh, of the, the, from the cabinet office, from the cabinet office papers, we'll continue to try and get something done about this horrendous situation. I just want to touch on the, 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 the police situation. You know, I find it very difficult. I had never been in trouble with the police before, uh, and I found myself in trouble with the police a lot during the minor strike as a young lad uh, and on, on strike. And I found it very difficult the way that we were treated. The communities, you'll all have seen the photograph of all grievances, by the way, that, where the, 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 the woman is like cowering away from this great big horse with a, a mounted policeman on the back with a baton three foot long, ready to clobber her. But Nicky's from Scotland, Terry's from South Wales, I'm from the North East. It happened in every mining community up and down the country. This wasn't just an Orgreave situation. I got arrested, and I'll not get into any details on it. I got arrested a number of times during the miners' strike. Never been in trouble with the police since. Our communities were invaded by police officers. You couldn't see the pavement for black boots. And it's just something which I'll never, ever, ever forget. And I've never seen it again anywhere, by the way. And when I'm watching this footage on the television uh, with the, the police and the communities, it, it really breaks my heart. But I'll tell you what does break my heart as well. I've seen a number of uh, documentaries as of late. And we've got miners who were picked off the picket lines. Not for any reason other than to ban them from picketing. 
These weren't hardened criminals. They were people who were fighting for one thing and one thing only. And that was a future of the industry for their children and for their children's children. You were hauled up to court and many minors were charged. Or you, you were given the option, by the way, by the solicitors. They're going to charge you on GB, uh, grievous bodily harm, on riotous behaviour. And you're, well, that's, I haven't done any of that. However, what they're saying is, if you agree to a lesser conviction, you'll not go to prison. That happened to me. And it happened to lots of people during the strike. You might have gotten snatched for pushing. You might have gotten snatched for doing something else. But then faced, potentially, with a prison sentence. The very same day. And then the solicitors began to what they call plea bargain. And that means they get you the least possible offence. Even though you haven't committed a crime at all. And you had thousands of minors, and I mean thousands of minors, standing up at court accepting charges for things they hadn't done. And not only did they know it, the police knew it. The magistrates knew it. The solicitors knew it. Everybody knew that these people, I've seen on a documentary a chap, he's similar age to me, around about 50, uh, and, and he, was, he was crying. This was only two weeks ago. He said, you know, I haven't even told my kids that I was arrested during the strike. I haven't told them that I was in prison. He says, I was in prison, I didn't do anything. And he says, I haven't told my grandchildren that I was in prison because they'll think I'm a criminal, because they'll think I'm a convict. And all I was fighting for was their future. So I haven't told him. And he had tears dribbling down his face. And he says, I'm going to have to tell him that this happened. And that's why, you see, that's why that uh, part of the miners group of MPs in Parliament were asking for uh, a review of the Cabinet papers. And I personally have asked the, uh, the, the, the uh, Police Complaints Authority to, to have a look at the situation and to um, basically have a look at why the, 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 the police were allowed to get away with what they the, the actually did during the strike. And I fully, fully agree with what Nicky said with regards to the situation in Hillsborough. Because if you have a look at the cases, they're very, very similar. There was 95, 96 uh, people uh, convicted during the, the, the minor strike for righteous behaviour at all grief. And then you had the, 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 uh, the people who were convicted uh, in, in Hillsborough. You've seen the police statements, you know, tens and tens and tens of police statements altered and were exactly the same, just the names changed. You know, this sort of thing is absolutely outrageous. And if somebody had questioned the, the police during the minor strike, I'll tell you, Hillsborough wouldn't have happened. You know, we've got, a, we've got responsibilities on our heads. But I'm just going to probably say, I would have loved, you know, to speak about lots of different things with regards to the minor strike. And I'm really pleased to be here. And I would love to speak for the next two or three hours. And I wouldn't have lost me, lost me appetite in any way, shape or form. In fact, I've got some notes here and I'm only on the first line. But never mind. So I'm getting the, the, the red card. But I just want to say, with, with, I would have loved to discuss the women against pit closures, uh, the situation with, with regards to any energy in the country at this moment of time, the way in which uh, the, the, the country's moved in terms of energy. I'm on the Energy Select Committee, so I'm fairly aware of what's happening. But I just want to say this. It was a class issue. 
We were just ordinary people. I was an apprentice. And as an apprentice, the union said, you must go to work because you're indentured apprentices. And I went home and I said, my father says, by the way, the, the big branch meeting, there was 2,000 people at the branch meeting, says that the, the NUM had said, you've got to go to work because you're an apprentice. And I said, well, what's your view? And there was five lads, my father on strike as well in the house, and my mother. My mother wasn't on strike, but, but there was, you know, so it was, had, didn't have a, two hatemans to rub together. He says, well, you, you're supposed to go to work. I said, what does that mean? And he says, well, you can go. He says, but let me just tell you, he says, it doesn't matter what happens, you, they'll call you a scab at the end of the day, and history will show that you're a scab. And he says, can you imagine, like, going to work and trying to tell people that, oh, you're an indentured apprentice, it's all right. He says, you know, you should just never, never cross a picket line, pal. And that's what my father said. And I think that was the best bit of advice I've ever had. And I mean, it was great because, you know, it would have been easy for him to say it, well, you know, that's a good opportunity. You can bring some money in for the family. We'll stop on strike. That wasn't the case. And it was the best uh, bit of advice I've ever had. But, you know, these times were dark. They were very difficult for lots of people in communities like mine, in Scotland, in Wales, in the North East. They were really hard times, by the way. But they were good times. We learned lots during the miners' strike because we're fighting for something. We're fighting for the right thing. We're being proven to be right now as we were then. It was right that the, 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 the strong supported the weak as well. There was lots of problems. We all got together and supported each other. It's something I've never, ever been part of in my life and probably not likely to be part of again. But like many other people, I'll tell you now, I look back at the miners' strike with, with great pride. And you see ordinary people wishing they had been part of the strike as well and wish they could have the tale to tell. It's a great badge of honour for me, uh, colleagues. It's a tremendous badge of honour. And you know what? In a heartbeat, if it happened again, I would gladly do it all over again. Thank you.